0: something i can find out tomorrow when i'm at the distillery that's a good question yeah
1: you're going on a pick tomorrow that's right what what are are you hoping to to come up with tomorrow
0: a good time you know just i I really just like um i like being around eddie so eddie's taking you on the pick i hope so i say but if not you know if i'm going with bruce that's great Welcome to another trip down the Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Randy. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back.
2: We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com.
1: So, Jim, David Jennings, rarebird101.com. What do you think? What a great guy. Yeah, I had, know. Oh, my gosh. And knowledgeable, man. What he knows about wild turkey. And when he shows up somewhere, he brings some bottles, let me tell you. Oh, man. I, you know, I got turned on to some things that I had, I knew nothing about, let's just say.
2: So now you know all the, the real terms like cheesy gold foil and split label. And dusty. And, and, and and dusty. You know, all and, the dusty was good. So you've had some great turkeys today, yes, haven't you? I have. Well, it was really good to have David on the show today. What a what a humble guy. What a what a guy that's committed to his cause. And he's got a lot of things going on. Things
1: are going good for him right now. Yeah, and I look forward to this book. This, yeah. this book ought to be awesome.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. I think we can expect great things out of David. And already, you know, with his blog and what he's got going on, rarebird101.com, a lot of good things going on there. Well, and, well
1: he's you know, he's sending his... His draft to Fred Minnick, so it can't be too bad, you know. I guess not. I guess <laughs> not.
2: Well, I tell you what, Randy, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, sign off here, and let's listen to David and uh, and talk a little bit of turkey.
1: Sounds good. All right. Bye.
2: I'm pretty excited today. We're here in uh, in Lexington, Kentucky at Base One Hundred and Ten. We've got a pretty exciting guest with us.
1: Yeah, Dave Jennings, Rare Bird One Hundred and One. We got to find out how he came up with this rare bird name. I kind of <laughs> have an idea, but we'll get into that in a minute.
2: David, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you here. So we're going to get right into our first pour today. Okay. And what we brought for you is a Russell's Reserve pick. This is actually a pick that I was on with uh, the Lexington Bourbon Society and a whiskey and the Whiskey Bear, which is a which is a nice bar here in Lexington. And uh, we did this pick um, in the dead of winter. It was cold. Let me tell you, it was cold. But let's go ahead and uh, take a nose. and Sure. And uh, cheers. Cheers. I get a little butterscotch on that.
1: Yes, me too. Well,
0: there, to me, right off the bat, there's a um, a nice kind of Fruity, what I call like fruity vanilla spice, where you have that that vanilla backbone, but then there's kind of like this uh, fruity uh, thing that kind of sits there right above it, and I get that in in a lot of the Tyrone stuff. Um, But this is what spice?
1: What spice do you think?
0: Well, like when I say vanilla spice, I think like a vanilla spice candle. Okay, so you're gonna kind of have where there's like not quite herbal. But there's like some cinnamon or some mm-hmm. nutmeg, uh, and uh, you know you'll have like a, maybe a little bit of brown sugar in there or something. Um, so right off the bat, it's that vanilla spice. But there's some fruit there too, right? Um, some like red fruit. Um,
2: yeah, I do I do get some fruit on it? But you know, I was like, most, like I was, maybe plum or
0: apple yeah, peel. I, yeah. It's more like a, a red apple. Red you apple, know. okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, I get
2: I get just a little bit of. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say pina colada.
0: Coconut, maybe just just a hint of it. You know what's strange is that I've actually heard more than one person tell me that they get coconut on some Russell's picks. Um, personally, that's never happened for me. But I could maybe see like a, if you had like a uh, like a coconut pie or something where you have the vanilla cream, you know, and the pastry, and then some coconut there too. To me, I could I could pull that yeah. out of it.
2: It just has this kind of a tropical, a little bit of a tropical, a
0: little bit of a tropical nose. To it's it. so Not,
2: but it's very faint. It's very faint. Yeah. So when it's we great picked, on the nose. When we picked this one, it was literally twenty degrees
0: outside. Yeah, that's hard. So to, hard to do. Yeah, and you know it, we're in a warehouse
2: with Eddie, and it's probably five degrees cooler than that in the warehouse. Did you try to warm it up with your hands and <laughs> everything all that? we could do? Yeah, yeah. But it was really hard. Yeah. Well, let's take a let's take a drink of this.
0: Yeah, it's a good pick.
2: Yeah, it's good.
1: A little bit of clove.
0: Yes. There's the clove and the cinnamon
1: for sure for me. Hot spice. That's what I that clove always comes across a little mm-hmm. bit a little bit warm.
0: Herbal spice for sure. Mm-hmm.
2: But I do get a little bit of that fruit on the mid palate.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, K Rickhouse K traditionally if I if if you were to go to my site and maybe look at some of the reviews K tends to have that red fruit spice kind of thing going on. Yeah. Um, there's always a lot of, um, and it depends on the floor too. Like I've had some lower uh, uh, floor picks from K, and it, it, I've even had one or two that almost kind of had like a strawberry kind of thing. Oh, really? Where it's like a real bright fruit and some citrus. But then you get to the upper floors and it, it totally changes in dynamic and, and you get a lot deeper, richer, uh, darker you know, fruit than you would have on the lower floor. Um, K is kind of a, um, a a wild card in a way because, like, you get, like, if you've had a lot of picks from, like, Rickhouse B or D, um, they kind of have, like, a lot of similarities um, with each other. K is like, you never really know what you're going to get. You'll get, you know, one and you'll think, oh, this is going to be, you know, H or something, and it's not, and it goes from real bright and it can go to real dark. It just depends. Uh, matter of fact, I have a, uh, a single cask nation barrel selection out there from Rickhouse K that's over 10 years old. Cask strength, uh, non-chill filtered. Um, and it actually did a, an additional year of aging in Bardstown at their warehouse in, oh. in Bardstown. So it's a very unique pour. So I hope you guys have yeah, some of that. Yeah, I'd like
2: to try it. It's yeah. from
0: K. And it is amazing. I mean, it's stellar. I think you're really going to... You don't really get single barrels from wild turkey at cast strength. Um, And and single cast nation is about the only place you're going to get that unless you go to the distillery And a lot of times
2: the the barrels are, you know, they're kind of borderline if they're going to come out, you know, strong enough to be at Russell's pick.
0: Yeah, sometimes they're going to have to be a wild turkey Kentucky spirit. Um, uh, But, you know, with wild turkey, they use a, a rather low entry proof. So... You do get a lot of Russell's picks that border around the 110 mark. So I've seen plenty that are 111, 112, 110 point something. Right. Um, very little water very added. Very little water added. Right. Um, and I did, there was a, a rumor going around for a while because there's an ATF ruling that says, you know, within two points, you can call something barrel proof. Okay. And there was a rumor going around that if it was within two points of 110, Wild Turkey didn't add any water. And so people were marketing their Russell's picks as cast drink. Oh, really? So I asked Eddie about it, and I said, is there is that true? Y'all don't? He's like, we always add water. We always add. We, it's It'll come out to 110, you know, if necessary. So unless your pick is 110.0 on the dot at time of bottling, it's going to have whatever water's necessary. And if it's One hundred nine point nine. It's well, got to be a spirit. It's going to have to go to Kentucky Spirit, yeah. right? Right. And this this is a one ten, right? Yes. So yeah. All Russells are one ten. Gotcha. Well, all Russell single barrels um, for the bourbon. Now the rise is not one ten. The rise one 104, four. But
2: well, that's good. That's an enjoyable. That's an enjoyable drink. Yeah, it's a great pick. Um, good
0: way to kick off my night.
2: There you go. Awesome. <laughs> well, let me ask you, um, what does the bourbon culture mean to you?
0: Well, to me, the bourbon culture is very online. It's very, because I live in South Carolina. I don't live in Kentucky. And there's no bourbon clubs in my immediate area, um, at least none that ever come to my attention. So all of my interaction in the bourbon scene takes place uh, via social media, um, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Reddit. Um, I have a Patreon account, and I'm very close to those folks. Um, so the bourbon community to me is a very large group, uh, in, in the sense of it it comes from a very large area from around the world. And that narrows down in to where the focus is strictly the spirit. Okay. And so politics are put aside, religion is put aside and we come together in celebration of, of, of a drink, um, a uniquely American drink. And uh, I think that we're seeing, unfortunately, a lot of folks in the industry, I say in the industry, in the hobby. A lot of folks in the hobby now taking advantage of that. Yeah. So there there are some, some groups that, you know, are turning this into a money-making opportunity. But for the most, I've seen nothing but kindness, good-heartedness, willingness to share, uh, fellowship. Um, it's been a... Uh, it's been a real fun hobby to be involved in over the last couple of years. It I, really has. I
1: would I would agree with that. My mm-hmm. my palate is not as you know, as as I don't know how, how would how would developed. I developed developed. Yes, as as yours your guys and and what's neat is someone like yourself and and Jim. You guys kind of gurus to me. Well, and you t- kind of say now,
0: Randy. Here's you
1: know, da da da. I wouldn't and, and think of it, it
0: that way. I, to me, everybody like they'll say that, and I'll say, well, I'm not an expert. You just kind of like what you like. Some people have a way of describing a drink in a different way than, than another person. You hear a lot of people say, especially when they're first starting out, oh, that's smooth, that's smooth, you know, or that's sweet. And that's just because they just haven't been involved in it long enough to start picking out the little fine, you know, things. But it'll come, it'll come. And And, and anyone out there that tries to make themselves out to be some super taster, super guru, give them a blind, you know, and we'll see because that, I mean, anybody can be fooled on a blind, anybody, unless you've had the amount of experience like someone like Jimmy Russell, I mean, a lot of these master distillers, true master distillers, they can pick out new make, you know, they can taste new make and go, that's maker's mark, you know, that's Jim Beam. When you can do that. You're, you're a bona fide. That's pretty impressive. Taster. Well, I, 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 heard,
1: <laughs> I heard a story about Mr. Jimmy. Okay. And uh, a woman had brought him some candy uh-huh. that she had made. And she goes, tell me what I used in this. And he took a bite of the candy. He goes, hmm. I think that's about Jim being about four years. And that one's been aged about four years. Jim." She goes,
0: how did you know that?
1: You know, so yeah. Jimmy's one of the best, I guess you, you can say. You,
0: you're not kidding. I've heard the same <laughs> story. I think it was honey that someone gave him, and, and he— knew what area the honey came from? I oh, don't know. Honey, so, really? honey, wow. really? I cannot remember what it was, but it was some other, it was a non-bourbon item, food item. And he knew from tasting, you know, what it was made from or, or where it came from or whatever. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, really? And uh, So, you know, there's years of experience and it, it makes a difference, you know, it really does. Um, but like I said, if you can taste new make and say where it came from, and you know what you're doing. And um, it's, it's a developmental
2: kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you your palate builds over time. I guess yeah. your, your library of tastes and odors mm-hmm. build over time, right? Yeah. And, so, and we've talked about it before. Sometimes you can uh, you can have just the wrong thing for lunch, and it just blows everything <laughs> oh, out of the yeah. water. So. Yeah. And yeah.
1: it it'll mess it up. But we appreciate uh, the bourbon community taking those of us whose palates are not quite wow. as developed and saying, hey, it's okay.
0: But just yours doing is just as valid as anyone else's. I, I, I truly believe that. I, I can take anyone off the street and I can sit them down and expose them to spirits and just say, look, do you like it or not? Now, they may not be a, a, a bourbon person, whatever, and then you're probably grabbing the wrong person. But if they say they like bourbon, they like 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 whiskey, um, just because they can't describe it a certain way or know where it came from doesn't mean that they're— opinion isn't as valid.
2: Right, you know, right. So. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned you're from South Carolina. What mm-hmm. part of South Carolina are you from?
0: Uh, I'm, I live in North Augusta, which is across the river from Augusta, from Augusta Georgia. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's that master's uh, Is, that born, is yeah. that born and raised? Yeah. 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 yeah my, my family is from... Uh, well, uh, the McCormick area, which is uh, you know, it's in that general area, but it's it's about you know half hour or so away from where I live.
1: Savannah River, right? Right. The run the runs Savannah between, River. The, between yeah, the two that's of them. Right. Yeah, I have I have actually two down the Savannah River. Yeah, <laughs> of course we weren't drinking bourbon then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I trace my my ancestors on my, my my dad's side all the way back to the. Pretty much the boat. So, really? Uh, wow! Yeah. Wow! So That's in, great.
2: In, so, so are you a genealogist? Do you do, you do no, that I kind did, of stuff, or just, just just interested?
0: I was interested for. I mean, I, I am still interested, but I, I went on a little spurt where I kind of traced my family history back um, to the, the 1700s on my Jennings side. Wow! Um, and I'm and I'm in the um, well, I'm, I'm in the Sons of the American Revolution because I had uh, an ancestor that fought in the Revolutionary War, and then I've got good many in the Civil War. Um, and uh, so it, it's just, it was really interesting to learn these things. South, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, they were all uh, Confederate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, but that's, that's just the way it was back then, you know, right. everybody, uh, you know, you fought for the home team. So, right. you know, yeah. if you live up north, everybody in town for, is yeah. signing up.
2: Yeah, so yeah. that's what yeah. I'm going to do. So how did you first get into bourbon?
0: Um, well, I've always enjoyed, enjoyed like whiskey and, and, and Coke. I say always, but like when I went to college, Um, Jack and Coke was a big drink, or Crown and Coke was a... And that would tend to be what I would have. this was in the early to mid-90s. Okay. Okay. Um, And so if I'd go out to eat with my wife or whatever later on, years later, I would just get Jim and Coke, Jack and Coke, Crown and Coke, something like that. Uh, Around 2013 or so, uh, I was at my brother-in-law's house. Uh, He had this fancy Crown Royal special edition thing in a box, you know. And uh, he asked me if I wanted some, and I said, sure. I was thinking it was going to be, like, in a mixed drink. And he gave it to me on the rocks, and that was the first I'd ever really sipped whiskey, you know, like, on the rocks or something. And it was a lot better than I thought it would be. I was like, this is really nice, you know. And it got my brain, like, really churning. I'm like, I'm going to get me one of these, you know. <laughs> and I went to the liquor store, and I was, like, blown away by It was just, like, rows and rows of boxes and, you know, tubes and bottles and, like— What do I do, you know? So I'm like, well, I'm going to find the best one, you know? So I started off like with Crown Royal and then I moved on to like Scotch and then I started getting Irish and then I would just get anything I could get my hands on trying to find the best thing. And I got into bourbons and one day I was uh, looking at the bourbons and on my checkout, I I asked for a pint of Wild Turkey 101. I was thinking it was going to be like the low shelf, poor man's drink or something. What, you know? Was
1: that your first bourbon that you tried? Actual bourbon? <laughs>
0: no, the first bourbon I sipped, first bourbon I sipped neat. That's tough. It probably would have been something like, I think it was Buffalo Trace. I think it was just oh, really? plain Buffalo, Buffalo Trace, Trace right. uh, 90 proof. Um, I'm pretty sure it was either that or Evan Williams single barrel. It might've been Evan Williams single barrel. I bought them on the same day. I remember that. Both good pours. I both of them. So, um, But uh, I asked for Wild Turkey 101. I to check out at some point And, I wasn't expecting a lot out of it because, and when I was in college, that was what you would do as shooters. You know, it was like the the wild turkey was like kind of the the party boy, you know, uh, uh, frat boy or you know party rock star kind of thing. And uh, anyway, um, I had it neat, and I was like, "This is really good." Like, what is all this talk about being like the bottom shelf whiskey? You know, and uh, I'm like, "This is just crazy." So I bought some more. And I was drinking it a good bit. Like I was like choosing it over other things that were a lot more sought after. And uh, like I had like spent a lot of money on like Willet Pot still. And Wild Turkey 101 was better to me, you know. So uh, anyway, I was on Reddit and I was talking about uh, how much I thought that Wild Turkey 101 was underappreciated. And a guy messaged me, and this is back before the rules changed in Reddit uh, on our bourbon. And he said, "Hey man, have you ever had dusty wild turkey?" And I was, "No, I've never had that." He's like, "I'll send you something." And he sent me a cheesy gold full from '92 and an '81 101 eight year. And I wasn't expecting a lot out of them. And when I poured the 101 eight year and nosed it for the first time, it—I mean, I, I literally like sat back. I'm like, "What the hell is this?" You know? And I was like, "This is incredible." And I, you know, just kept going back to it. I'm like, I've got to get this, you know. And then I realized that, like, this is not something that you can just go find, you know. Um, And, but it got me started. You know, it was like, well, I've got to, you know, surely there's some kind of, you know, Russell's Reserve or something that tastes like this, you know. So I started buying up all the different wild turkey catalogs, And I started learning about uh, Lawrenceburg area. I started learning about the Russell family. Um, And... I just felt this connection to uh, the brand uh, just as much, if not more, than the whiskey itself. It was like, it just it just was the package deal for me. It was like, I felt like it was genuine. I felt like it was the underdog. I felt like uh, I was getting a product that someone put a, a lot of time into. And, and I'm not talking about like when they made that bottle. I'm talking about a lot of time that was put into it going back decades. Like I felt like I was getting a piece of history with every bottle. Um, Even if it was a modern release, I felt like there was just something here that you don't find. I mean, how many other distilleries can you think of with multi-generation master distillers? And uh, if you, if you watch interviews with the Russell's, I mean, it just really pulls you in. And I stopped buying a lot of things and started buying a lot of Turkey instead. And I found myself writing a lot of reviews um, on Reddit primarily. And one day I was like, yeah, I've got like about 20-something wild turkey reviews. I ought to just put them on a blog. And so I put them all on one blog, and I had it private for months. And that's how Rare Bird
2: 101 started? That's how Rare Bird
0: 101 started. Oh, okay. I I just took a lot of reviews I had written, started a blog, and then I made it public. And just slowly but surely... You know, I'd start getting more viewers every other day or so, and um, it just grew from there.
2: And so, there's a lot of uh, Wild Turkey uh, fans out there, I guess.
0: Yeah, it, it was it, it was surprising. It, it, it was a lot more folks than I realized. Um, and and the, the, the cool thing about Wild Turkey is is that your the fan base is so diverse. Um, I, I, I've I've talked to people from all walks of life, from all different areas, from different countries. And they all just love wild turkey passionately. And it's not like this one little niche group. It's a a small group made of a a large group of people, a very diverse group of people. So
1: So, uh, one of the questions we usually ask all of our guests is, what is your daily drinker?
0: Well... (laughs) If you, if you want to look, like, statistically, like, you know, if you went back and looked every day at what I drink, yeah, it's going to be w- really Yeah, we want the numbers. <laughs> yeah. no. Russell's Reserve Single <laughs> Barrel is going to be the one, probably. Okay. okay. Um, but uh, if you want to ask me, like, in general, what's what's the best daily drinker, I normally would say Wild Turkey 101. Um, Rare Breed Batch 116.8, which is the latest batch, is kind of a contender there now for me. Because even though it's more expensive, it's barrel-proof. And so I find that, you know, it's it's hard to to say which one has the better value because wild turkey 101 is everywhere you go to any restaurant it's there you go to any liquor store it's there you can get it in minis you can get it in half pints pints fists liters, handles so wild turkey 101 is hard to beat it really is but then rear breed you're going to get that wild turkey 101 profile at a barrel proof so you know for like 40 45 dollars so, that, there's an incredible value there as a daily drinker as well if you like more of a, a stronger, you know, proof spirit.
2: Okay. So, really between the two, kind of Russell's is your kind of go-to and then Wild Turkey 101 is just your everyday. Right. And then if yeah. you want something
0: stronger, go for Rare Breed. But right. uh, between those three is where you're going to find me every day. So, what about,
2: what about Kentucky Spirit? Because I know… Kentucky spirits, kind of, and I, I don't want to say this the wrong way. Kentucky spirit well, just doesn't have him. the mar- just well; they don't it. have the market share yeah. that the other the other labels have for wild turkey. Yeah, uh, it's it's not as uh, appreciated, I guess. No, it's not. And and so, what do you think about wild spirit? Uh, okay. Kentucky spirit. I'm sorry. I, I
0: think that you have to realize that the Kentucky spirit that is bottled now is not the Kentucky spirit that a lot of people, you know, came up with. Um, when Kentucky Spirit started in the '90s, okay, it was first bottled in '94. I think it actually premiered in '95, but you're going to see a '94 date on the on the rim. Uh, you got to remember that Wild Turkey's entry proof was different back then; it was 107. So, you know, you're getting a very close to barrel proof by the time that maturation sets in. Um, as the entry proof changed. Kentucky Spirit changed, so you're going to have more water added to it. It's going to be diluted a little more. And then I'm thinking, and I don't know for a certainty, but it could be that the barrels that were chosen, you know, for Kentucky Spirit before Russell's Reserve was even on the picture, um, they're going to be a little bit more mature, I would think, because you're not competing with Russell's Reserve single barrel. So if you have some a single barrel that's worthy of a single barrel bottle, it's going to go to Kentucky Spirit by default. So when Russell's Reserve Single Barrel was introduced, that was like 2013, okay? That's now competing with the same stocks that Wild Turkey Kentucky Spirit was. So, you know, you're going to find the choice barrels that are 110 or greater going to Russell's Reserve Single Barrel. And then whatever's after that's going to go to Kentucky now, Spirit. Now, so, Spirit, Kentucky Spirit has some 12-year barrels, right? Well, I have a, uh, a 13-year Kentucky Spirit from Moonshine Grill, that is a very rare thing. Uh, okay. Wild Turkey does not let well-aged barrels like that go very easily. Uh, Moonshine Grill has a relationship with the Russells that some other places do not. And so they were able to get a few special bottles. Like They have a 12-year Russells Reserve, and then they had a 13-year Wild Turkey Kentucky Spirit recently. So I was lucky enough to be able to get those. Um, so they exist. They're yeah. just not something you're going to find. And there's a group in South Carolina, I believe, that, that was able to get a 12-year Kentucky Spirit. Um
2: and I've heard, I, th- I think I've heard Bruce say that uh, that if you are a fan of the old 101.8, uh, that Kentucky Spirit is about as close as you're going to get with today's stocks.
0: It's not going to taste like dusty. 101.8 It's just not. Here, the, the, the analogy I always give people is this. Imagine you're on a highway and 101, Wild Turkey 101, is that highway. You have two off-ramps you can go on. The first off-ramp is for someone wanting a bold, rich, heavier profile with a heavier proof, and that's going to be Russell's Reserve Single Barrel. The other off-ramp is going to be someone that wants something that's going to stay on the 101 proof, that's going to have a little bit more finesse to it. It'll be like 101 with with a finesse to it, with a little bit more layers. That's Kentucky Spirit. So you have this 101, and then you have the two off-ramps, and you can go this way or you can go that way. It just depends on what you're looking for in a single barrel. And how do you
2: feel about the Kentucky Spirit now that they've had a bottle change?
0: Well, I wasn't a fan of the redesign. I'll be honest with you, it's it's not something that... uh, well, I complained about it. <laughs> if you look back, you know, I complained about it because it's such an iconic uh, bottle. And to lose that to essentially ah. a relabel of Rare Breed or Rare Breed's glass, um, it hurt a little bit. I was like, ah, I hate that. Now that it's happened, and I have several of those at the house in the new bottle. I find myself reaching for it a good bit. Um, yeah. I've kind of let that go. I mean, it just looks because what matters is what's in the inside. And some of the newer Kentucky Spirits from Camp Nelson have actually performed very well, in my mind, at least on taste. I think that Camp Nelson uh, rickhouses tend to handle the dilution a little bit better than some of the Tyrone ones. Because when I taste some of the Tyrone Kentucky Spirit uh, bottlings... A lot of times I'm like, man, I just wish this was Russell's Reserve. Like, I just wish I had that little bit more. But I don't really think that direction so much when I'm sipping some of the ones from Camp Nelson. I don't know why that is, but it it just could be maybe the barrels I've gotten lately. But
2: Let's change directions here just a little bit. Um, So last year, uh, summer and fall, we had uh, kind of a revelation of uh, some changes in the juice of 101. Uh, I guess not just the 101, but other things as well. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Well, they used some older stocks in 101. Uh, Long Branch had eaten up a lot of the eight-year barrels. And so in order to get, you've got to remember, they're not really shooting for a certain age. They're shooting for a certain flavor profile, a certain taste. So when in, when Eddie is tasting the batches, if it tastes like maybe this is a little bit too six-year heavy, he's going to want something above that so if the eight's not there you're gonna grab the 10 okay and so last year because of Long Branch eating up a lot of the eight-year barrels they had to go for some 10-year barrels to make 101 and I mean yes there's a difference Um, I thought that a lot of the mid 2018 101 uh, batch bottles that I tried were excellent I don't think that it's something to go nuts over and go buy a bunch of cases like a lot of people did. Um, yeah. Because one-on-one's just a consistently good bourbon. And, the, and those bottles are still on the shelves. I mean, yeah. you can still find them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you know, like I said, it, it's Eddie's going for a flavor. He's, he's going by taste. Um, I think if you get too stuck on these bottle codes, you're going to pigeonhole yourself and you're going to miss out on something potentially better.
2: Do you think it's likely that that's still going on? I mean, with the stocks sure. going to uh, sure. Long Branch, and
0: it's like Bruce told me. I mean, they've always, you know, with batches, you're always putting older barrels in just to get the profile where it needs to be. It's just, it just became a big deal this this last and how time. How big around. is a batch of 101? Uh, you know, I don't know how many uh, barrels go into a batch of 101. Um, I would imagine it would be, uh, you know, well over a hundred. Uh, is my guess. Um, I, I, that's something I can find out tomorrow when I'm at the distillery. That's a good question. Yeah, right?
1: you're going on a pick tomorrow. That's right. right? What, that's what's, right. What, are, what are you hoping to to come up with tomorrow? A good time. You know, just right. I, I okay. really
0: just like um, I like being around Eddie. You know, I've got a chance so to you, hang around. Eddie's Eddie taking comes, you on the
2: pick. I hope so. Yeah. I
0: say, hey, but if not, you know, if I'm going with Bruce, that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just I, I just want the the experience there, the fun. You know, the conversation. Uh, being around these folks that are in the room here beside us, uh, the fellowship, that's all I'm really interested in. I'm not trying to find it. You have a lot of people that go and they're, they're trying to find the next, you know, hit barrel that, you know, is going to get big money on the secondary or something. I really could care less about that. So, so ha-
1: but have you had any of these epic picks? Have you have you had any of those? Can you think of one?
0: I've had a few. I've had, yeah, there's a short barrel from Woodland Wine a couple years ago. It was only like 42 bottles. It was from M. I don't remember the barrel number, but it was amazing. And uh, I always talk about that when people always ask this question. Um, the uh, barrels that the Jewish Whiskey Company picks, I've never had a bad one from them. I've had one. There was one they picked from D that was a little bit more modern. Um, and it wasn't as standout as some of the other ones that they picked. But the, the 10-year K uh, that's in the room next to us, uh, it's stellar. I mean, it, it's probably one of the best wild turkey well, definitely one of the best modern wild turkey barrels I've ever had.
1: Well, you've got a, a gathering of supporters yeah. here. So so what is this all about? Why, why are you actually here in Lexington? Okay.
0: Um, I have a Patreon uh, account. Uh, it's patreon.com slash rarebird101. And I set it up to basically uh, just as a way for folks to basically get more content. So I have my blog, which is, you know, a post a week. Okay. But Patreon, I tend to post every day or every other day. Um, and there's a lot of different topics I can talk about. Sometimes I just share links. Sometimes I write an article. Sometimes I do a review. Sometimes I, I'll do first pours and I'll do last pours. So when I get close to finishing a bottle, I'll talk about how it finished out. Or when I open a, a first like a lot of people like it for the first pour because they get to find out my thoughts on something before the review's written. So if I open, like, like for example, when Masters Keep Cornerstone comes my way, I'll do a first pour. They're going to get my... Take on it a couple of weeks before the review comes out, um, and uh, it just kind of started as just a way to uh, provide extra content uh, to folks that that follow the blog, and it really turned into something special because a lot of people signed up. I mean, I have like 143 patrons now, which blows me away because I was I was, I was thinking maybe I could get 20 people, <laughs> you yeah. know, and that would be really cool. And it it grew, and uh, so I try to reward my patrons as best I can, um, uh, not just with objects, but like what we have, you know, uh, beside us is just a gathering where I, um, I'm basically throwing out some really rare bottles and just saying, here, I want you guys to, to sip and enjoy these. And, and I want to fellowship and let's talk and let's hang out let's get to know each other and talk about wild turkey. And then we'll do a barrel pick the next day. And then those bottles in turn will be, uh, you know, made sure I'll make sure that my patrons are first in line for those right. bottles.
2: Well, that's great. Awesome. Well, I think this is as good a spot as any for us to take a break here. Okay. Now you to go out and uh, talk to some yeah. of your patrons, and when we come back, uh, we'll uh, we'll see what you brought for us. Great. Sounds, Sounds good. good. Thank right. you. I'd like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Loghead's Home Center. Okay, Randy, we are back
1: and uh, ready to go. David Jennings, rarebird101.com. A wild turkey Super fan. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So,
0: what, uh, David, what have you brought for second pour today? Okay, this is a single cast nation selection. Um, uh, Some of your listeners may be familiar with the Jewish Whiskey Company, but they're basically an independent bottler, so they pick different barrels or they would say casks because a lot of times they're picking scotch. Um, And they bottle it independently uh, at full cast strength, non-chill filtered, uh, and uh, they've done a good many Wild Turkey releases at this point. They had two Whiskey Jubilees, which was a festival they used to have. That They're no longer doing those for at the moment. Um, and then they've had probably, I think now they're on their, I believe their fifth, uh, the releases that are coming out, I believe it's their fifth under the Single Cast Nation label with the Wild Turkey uh, distillery being the, the, the choice. So these are, these
2: are really sought after.
0: They're very sought after, yes, and I'm I'm very lucky to have a friendship with, with Joshua and Jason, and um, it, it's it's been a amazing past couple of years, uh, you know, talking with them and their passion for, for quality whiskey, um, and and in particular Wild Turkey, um, it's uh, it's been really rewarding to have the opportunity. So basically, you taste what comes straight out of the barrel, which, which mo- most folks don't get that. Right. Unless you go to Wild Turkey or you have maybe a pick locally.
2: So when you go on a pick, you get to taste it that way. Of course, mm-hmm. when it delivers, normally it's right. not. And it's water, a little bit of water in there.
0: Right, right. But this is uh, the unique thing about this particular uh, bottle. This was a, 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 a pick from Rickhouse K. Um, they had chosen a different barrel. And uh, wild turkey, somewhere along the lines, there was a mistake made, and they sent Joshua and Jason the wrong barrel. But instead of sending the barrel back, they kept it. And even though they weren't 100% happy with it at the time to put their name on it, they uh, sent it to their warehouse in Bardstown for some additional aging. So it aged well over 10 years, and about a year of it or more was in Bardstown. Um, when I tasted this for the first time, I was, I was. Very impressed because I had just had th- their selections, their nine-year selections from from D and from K, and that uh, they had released a few months before this one. And I thought, well, nothing's going to top that uh, nine-year K because it, it was a it was a reject barrel, really, that they had found an asset if they could have because it was deemed as too off profile, and it was it was off profile, but it was amazing off profile. Yeah. So I thought nothing's going to beat that one. This one, to me, beats it. I mean, it just has pretty much everything I'm looking for in a turkey barrel, um, to be honest with you. Um, A lot of layers, a lot of complexity. Look at that color. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it looks nice.
0: So they they do a good job. They really do. Um, And, uh, you know, you probably ought to... Look at having them on one day. Yeah. They're good to talk to. They do a lot more scotch, but still, they have they, they have. Uh, well, we don't American have a problem with
1: talking about leftover bourbon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Whoops. Careful, Randy. Careful careful I know. That's true. Mm.
2: Oh, that is delicious. That is really good. That is a flavor explosion.
0: And that finish just goes on, yeah. and, on and on and on on that one. It does, yes, but it's not – man – it does. Yeah. yeah. And I think
2: those legs are just gonna stay on that glass.
0: Yeah. It's it's around 120 proof or so. I don't have the bottle in front mm-hmm. of
2: me, but it's up there. You can feel a little added heat to it. Yeah. I mean it, a little bit more there than a than a typical Russell's.
0: It's beautiful though. It just has yeah. a just a nice all-around just a nice all around profile. That's delicious. And maybe one day soon we'll have Cast Strength Russell's Reserve picks. That would be ideal. I think it's hard right now because You know, when the program they have now is selling so well, I mean, a lot of folks can't even get their foot in the door on a pick now. Right. I don't really think there's any urgency on Campari to change anything, you know. So it's going to be tough. I know Eddie's pushing for it. I know it's something that he wants. You know, when it happens, I'm not sure, but I know it's been in talks for a while.
2: Well, maybe you should use some of your, uh, influence over, I've, I've tried, (laughs) I've tried. I mean, I've heard, I've heard Bruce talk about you and your writings. And I know that Campari, um, at least I've heard that Campari has an open ear when it comes to some of the things you're saying. That was a
0: shock. I I, I was, I was real, uh, I'd, I'd heard that, you know, and, uh. That came as a big surprise uh, that it meant that much uh, to them to even take the time to read. It means a lot to me to know that they do that. So, um, so let
2: me give you my list. One would be you know barrel proof picks. Another one would be let's let's go back to the 107 entry proof. Mm-hmm. So if you can get those two things on your agenda, I think maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I really think you know Bruce has said in the past. I was on another podcast. But he was talking about two things that he really wanted to do, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. One was, you know, keep things, you know, you can still have a run, you know, the way that they're doing things now. But there's no, you know, why not experiment and and, and have a run where you make the barrel entry proof 107? And age those maybe somewhere special. And then, you know, 10 years down the road, maybe we have a special release or whatever. Or at least let's try. Let's try let's do it, yeah. let's, let's do some Experiment. experimentation Experiment. And, and do some tasting as it ages and see what the deal is. He's he's pushing for that. Another thing that I, I like that he mentioned was having a another rye mash bill, because wild turkey's rye, Jimmy, you know, he's not a rye fan. The only reason Jimmy had a, a rye whiskey because wild turkey traditionally had rye. Now, Bruce is, right? Bruce is a huge rye fan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jimmy was never a rye fan. He's just not. It's just not his thing. So from the beginning, he he was not really big in the rye. The rye was sourced for a long time. Rye came from either uh, Maryland, it's, uh, it came from Pennsylvania, or it came from Illinois. So until Austin Nichols purchased the actual distillery in 71... Um, all the rye was coming from out of state. Um, as Jimmy got more involved with uh, the distillery under the ownership of Austin Nichols, um, he would, he started distilling his own rye, but it's a barely legal rye. I mean, it's just over, you know, the, that 50% mark to, to make a, a straight rye whiskey. Um, I think that Bruce is more interested in having a, a rye Higher rye rye. Higher rye rye, yeah. So uh, I don't know what percentages he's looking at or thinking about, but I think that would be a neat thing too because, you know, we don't want to change, you know, fans, you know, don't really want the bourbon recipe changed. We don't really want that, you know, changed. But – I'm all for you experiment. All you want to on the rye side because I, I, for, I could use a little bit more. And rye. For
2: for our listeners who may not know, wild turkey literally has one mash bill, right? One
0: mash bill for bourbon, one mash bill for rye, right? Right. And uh, yeah, I don't think anybody really wants the bourbon, you know, recipe being changed. But I mean, I don't see any problem. You could you could do two recipes of rye. You could keep the classic, you know, rye, and then you could maybe have a new rye, you know, and call it something else. I don't know. Well, that
1: seems to be the thing. There's a lot of distilleries out there doing some experimenting right now, yeah. especially with, you know, the big bourbon boom. I'm so, all why for it. not? Why yeah. not?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Yeah.
2: Let me let me change directions here for a little bit. Let's 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 talk a little bit about your book and uh so what 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 prompted you to start writing a book, especially about wild turkey specifically?
0: Well, for those that follow my blog, I think it kind of would make sense just because, you know, I'm always writing about wild turkey. When I write for my blog, my reviews tend to be more than reviews. It's kind of like reviews with with a little more insight or a little more depth or a story around them. Um, so writing about wild turkey is, is not unusual for me. And I have my Patreon uh, site, which has a lot of additional content that I had there. And one day I was... Uh, just, I don't know how it really the conversation came up, but my wife suggested that I write a book. You know, she's like, you really ought to, you know, write a book about Wild Turkey. You, you're always writing about them, and, and I, I think you could do a good job with it. And I got to thinking about it. and like, it just sounded like such a chore. It was like, I just, you know, a book sounds heavy. You know, it sounds like, oh, that's a lot to Two do. Two pages a day, man. Two yeah. pages a day. That's all it is. Well, Stephen King does like six, you know, oh, that's okay. You so I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> uh, but uh, I got to thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I tell you what. I told her I'd try. I'll sit down and I'll just try. And I sat down and I was just like, I'm just going to write the introduction. And it just started flowing. It just came out. And as I got into the first chapter where I get into the Rippy history, I was enjoying the research. I was really enjoying learning about the Rippys, uh and their history and legacy. And it wasn't really work. It was kind of like I just... It just was happening on its own. So I do a little by little by little, go back, fat check, you know, change if I need to little by little. And before you know it, it was all coming together. And I had I was like, wow, I've got, you know, 100 plus pages already done. I'm Like how this is amazing, you know, and you uh, know half the book is history and half the book is appreciation. And so the appreciation side was easier in some ways because I was able to go back and pull notes Um, from my journals and my blog posts to kind of shape that. So there was a little bit of Mm -hmm. being able to regurgitate some information that I already had. Um, But it was also difficult because I'm trying to give you know, I, can, I can't I can just copy and paste a blog post. It's like I have to kind of make it for the book. So it's right. like I had to kind of massage it into something right, that right. flowed. And so that was difficult on that way. The history was difficult in making sure I had it right. All the and,
1: citations were there. Yeah, That's where it came from. Well, you, yeah. And
0: you have you might find one article that says something and then another article that says something else. And then I end up just having to, you know, message Eddie. And I'm like, tell me what's the difference between this and this, you know. And uh, it... it uh, it's finally come together. Where I sent a first draft to Fred Minnick, and uh, and and uh, he was a big help help to me. Um, and I've sent some drafts to some other folks and gotten some really you know positive feedback. And uh, I'm almost done with my official second draft now. So okay. I've been working through a,
1: and a they few say edits. They say that once you get to writing your book, then you go back and then you do your introduction because it will change.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it it was how I started telling my story. Because like, I was like, how do I write a book about wild turkey? And I'm like, well, I'm going to write it from my perspective. So, you know, it was kind of like I wanted to say, you know, how did I get into this? You know? So
2: it's kind of a journey? Like uh, your, your book is no, kind of your
0: journey through wild turkey? Or? It, it's not – not really. I wanted to kind of paint a picture of how this book became, came to be. Okay. And why I decided it was worth writing a book about in the first place. Got it. And to me, and, I, and the title of the book is Wild Turkey American Spirit. And there's multiple def, you know meanings behind that. You have the release, the uh, expression Wild Turkey American Spirit, which is a bottle and bond, the only bottle and bond, Wild Turkey expression ever released. But then you have that. American spirit, as in, you know, the spirit of America. And then you have American spirit as in, you know, alcohol. So it has a multi, you know, level thing. And so what I, I, when, you, when you look at the history of wild Turkey, it all started with immigrants. Uh, there were French uh, Huguenot uh, immigrants that had moved to Ireland to escape religious persecution. They came to America, settled in what is now Anderson County, you know, Kentucky, um, and this is the Rippies. And uh, they started a long tradition of distilling that would lead into basically the exact same distillery that Jimmy Russell would would, would be hired on to in time. Um, and there was, it's so you go from that American frontier, you know, Jacksonian America to modern times, and there's a lot of stuff in between, you know. It's, it, it's, it, was, it was a lot of fun researching it, it really was.
1: Wow. Uh, well, evidently, there's a lot of people waiting on this book, too, because I understand the fundraising went very well for this.
0: Yeah, it, that was a shock. Uh, I, I I tossed and turned about what amount. Because, see, with Kickstarter, it's, it's all or nothing. If you, if you don't raise your goal, you don't get anything. And so I, I knew I needed at least enough to get something done. So my original idea was to print on uh, demand, where basically you – you do all the writing, the photography, the editing. Get a graphic designer. Put the book together, and you send it up to like Amazon. Amazon does that, yeah, Yes, and then I know. they can yeah. print on demand. Right. Okay, that was, and that's where I've left it right now. But I've got some talks going on. I can't get into too, too many details, but you know, this is looking to be a real deal book through a publisher. Wow, but, um, cool, hardback, you know, full color, you know, eighty-pound paper, the, the whole deal. Um, and that is going to be, I feel like if, if it's going to be done, I want it done right. And so, but yeah, the, the Kickstarter within just a few days, I, I put it out there and it I'd met my goal, like I think in two or three days and I was blown away by that. It was the, the generosity of, of people and the interest that they have in the brand. It showed tenfold, you know, right, right. and and, and now it's at a level I never even imagined it would be so would I be, mean, I,
2: in the back of your mind this is kind of what you always wanted but you were being conservative
0: being conservative and uh realistic because you know i know it's a niche you know it's uh you know bourbon's big right now mm-hmm. bourbon books are big right now but wild turkey's still very niche and there's a reputation that comes along with wild turkey that's undeserved but it's out there i mean you you pull anyone from the street and you start talking to them about wild turkey and they're going to think you know you're Going to a frat party or something, you <laughs> yeah. know. So uh, uh, we're trying to overcome that, and I think it's happening. Actually, I mean, you know, McConaughey has has given it a whole different look, you know, and made it more approachable for consumers that probably would have never given Wild Turkey at the time of day. Um, and I think that uh, just with bourbon being so big, I think once people are exposed mm-hmm. to Jimmy Russell, Eddie Russell, Bruce Russell. Joanne, when they get to know the Russell family or, or watch an interview or a podcast like you guys have, read articles,
1: they realize there's a
0: lot more to this brand than a party whiskey. Right. A lot
1: more. Right. So, so when is this book going to be released?
0: Okay. the I've put on the Kickstarter that I would like to have it done uh, by November, December for the holidays. Uh, a
1: great Christmas, Christmas great, gift but, there.
0: But I would like to have a copy in Jimmy's hands by September 10th, which is his 65th anniversary at the distillery. Oh, wow. Yeah. No one in this world has ever done that. Uh, you know, has been a, a distiller at the same distillery for that long.
2: So, have you, um, and and I don't want you to give away anything you're not ready to give away. Yeah. But have you uh, have you considered like having the book in the gift shop? Have you talked to maybe some personal interviews, or do you have personal interviews?
0: Well, uh, I am trying to work out something with the gift shop. I think the most important thing to me is I I think about these things, and I try to quiet them down in my head because I have to focus on having the best product. Campari is a very high class company. You can look at their ads. You can look at their products. They're, they're very big on design. They're very big on a very sleek and presentable product. And if I'm going to have something that's going to be worth selling, you know, at a store that they own, it needs to be at that level. Uh, and so I think I just need to focus on that right, right. now. I need, to, I need to focus on the content. I've hired a, an excellent um, top-of-the-line photographer, Victor Sizemore. Uh, who just has an amazing eye and a knack for taking uh, pictures that um, I think when it comes to bourbon, because he has a love of bourbon himself, he has a love for bourbon himself, it it shows in his photography. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's going to add a lot to the end product. Uh, So uh, again, my focus is just not so much thinking about the marketing Let's just, let's have a quality product. Well, has
1: Campari had any input on layout and design kind of no, stuff?
0: No, it's, it's my own thing. Um, they have given me permission to, to have whatever photos taken. You know, I need to take have They've, they've oh, worked nice. with me. They've worked with me uh, in a, very well. Um, the reason why I haven't, it, it's like, it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's like I could, I could approach Campari and say, hey, let's work on this together. And then we're looking at a lot of paperwork, a lot of delays, a, a lot, lot of signatures, it's a corporate. lot of more people involved. Uh, it's corporate. Okay. And it may either not happen or it may not happen the way I want it to. Right. So I figured it's, this is best done with my vision and with the help of others. And if I put something quality out there, then. I just can cross my fingers and hope that they they'll want to be a part of it afterwards. But they've been they've been helpful. They've been very helpful, and they've not roadblocked me one time. So, So
1: off the cuff. How do you keep yourself motivated? Because when you take on an undertaking like this, yeah. it, it, you can get bogged down. It's tough. Quick.
0: I have a family. I, uh, you know, and, and it's, you know, I have an obligation as a husband and father to do things, and so I have to kind of keep all that in check. And then I have a full-time job. This is not my job. You well, know? What do you What do you do? Full-time? I work for a bank. I work in insurance uh, for for a bank. Oh, so okay. uh, I have to kind of keep all that in check. And so it it, uh, you know, it's one of these things. When it comes to motivation, it. I have the motivation. I almost want to do more than I can. You know, I have to keep myself from overdoing it. Cause a lot of times I'll stay up till one in the morning writing and then I'll look at the clock and be like, God, I'm really on a roll here. I don't want to have to go to bed, yeah. but I, I got to get up at six <laughs> in the morning, you know? And so I have to say, it's like, uh, I burn the midnight oil very frequently because I don't want to take time away from my kids. So, you know, i come home and, you know, there's things that need to be done, homework and this type of thing. So I have to wait till they're in bed and then I'll work. And so sometimes that motivation, I actually have to kind of reserve it, you know. So, yeah.
2: so the book's a big undertaking. So uh, what's kind of next on your... Uh,
0: well, I don't know if I can think of next yet. Yeah. I, I have to... Uh, You're still in the fight. I still have to think about the, the, uh, the book and I have to keep my blog... Um, it, it, going on a regular basis, um, I have uh, a Patreon site that I've mentioned already, and I like to keep the content there fresh. Um, I've got a lot of barrel picks in the works. This this barrel pick that I'm doing tomorrow is one of several I've got planned, you know, for this year. So I've got a lot more of those. So you're doing in.
2: barrel picks as a collaboration with certain retail outlets, and that's
0: right. I'm doing a uh, a uh, collaboration with uh, Lexington Beverage Outlet in Lexington, South Carolina. Um, And that's going to be the one for tomorrow. I'm doing another one uh, with them uh, in September. Now that'll be in Columbia with Eddie. um, So that won't be here in Kentucky. And then I've got two special ones. I I don't want to reveal too much. I've got some special ones in the works that uh, are going to be with two pretty well-known individuals in the scene um, that I'm really looking forward to because they each have a genuine love for whiskey and wild turkey in their own unique way so we don't
2: we won't ask you the details of that except when can we expect to hear more about those
0: uh very soon at least the first one i should have an answer uh in the next week or so uh there's some things i'm having to work out as far as uh logistics so watch um, the blog watch the blog yeah uh you know keep keep an eye on things I, or instagram I, I let a lot of stuff out on instagram So, what do
1: you think have been the keys to your success with your blog and this new book project?
0: Oh boy! Well, I mean, there's a lot more successful blogs out there than mine. Um, I think with any with any blog, regardless of what it's about, I think that you have to be passionate and honest. I think if you're passionate and honest, and you can, you know, half right, you'll do you'll do well because people. They like something that comes from the heart. They like something that that is legitimate, um, and they like something that's driven by a true appreciation. Um, so I think that having passion and ha- and being honest is going to do well in any in any blog. I, th- I would recommend anybody thinking about starting a blog. Think about starting it because you really love what you're starting it for. Um, don't just See, I'm going to start a blog because I want to, you know, have a whiskey blog. You know, it, it just comes on its own when you're passionate about something. It just kind of happens anyway. You so know, be
2: genuine. Be, be genuine.
0: Be committed. Genuine and committed. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, there's a quote uh, from Stephen King that I love. It says, uh, "You know, talent is as cheap as table salt. Um, what makes the difference in someone that's talented and successful is the amount of hard work in between. Yeah, so absolutely. Something like that. So,
2: very, very well spoken." Yeah. Well, David, we'd really like to thank you for taking the time today to oh, sit down you. with us. We, we appreciate it. It's great to have a, a couple of pours with you. Yeah, well, thank and you. And to hang out with your patrons here. Yeah. And uh,
0: we're going to
1: have to do this again sometime. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I'd love after to. After this book comes out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that, hey, trust me, I'd love to. I, I want to get the word out as, as yeah, much as I can. Put us on your book tour. There, there you. you go. Thank you. Thank you, David. All thank you. Just, cheers. Cheers. We'd
2: really like to thank David for taking time out of his busy schedule here to meet with us at Base 110 Studio and record an episode. You can find David at rarebird101.com, where you'll see his blog and a lot of information on wild turkey products. You can also reach out to David on Instagram at rarebird101, on Twitter at rbird101, and on patreon.com slash rarebird101. Now Randy and I are going to go join David and his Patreon supporters for a few fine, dusty pours we do appreciate all of our listeners and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the bourbon road we hope you enjoyed today's show and if so we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five star with a review on itunes make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at the bourbon road that way you'll be kept in the loop on all the bourbon road happenings You can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog, listen to the show, or reach out to us directly. We always welcome comments or suggestions, and if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us.